0: I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to nations. He will not cry aloud, nor lift his voice, or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for him or excuse me, the coastlands wait for his law. And from Galatians 5 22-23, verses verse 25, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. gentleness, self control. Against, against such things, there's no law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So I love JR. And over um, this last summer in July, we were at some RUF training, and there was an older pastor that was, that was teaching us and um, talking to us about his experience. And he was telling us this story about his daughter. And she was in third grade, I think, at the time. And all the kids had gone to bed, and he was walking past her bedroom. The door was open a little bit, and he could hear his third grader in the room, and she was crying quietly to herself. And uh, so he, he, he stopped, and he went in, and he sat on her bed, and he said, You know, honey, what's wrong? And she said, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just crying. And he said, uh, well, does this, how often do you cry in your bed at night after you go to bed? And she said, I don't know, like, a lot, like, most nights. And um, she said, Daddy, like, what, like, what's wrong with me? Like, what's the matter with me? And because, uh, you know, her siblings didn't cry at night. Some of you guys who are the, the night criers are, like, really, like, desperately connecting to this right now. Um, so, but she said, Daddy, what's wrong with me? And so he stepped out of the room, and he came back a minute later, and he came back with a styrofoam cup, and with a uh, crystal piece of stemware, like a goblet or a wine glass, right? This really nice crystal, uh, very fine glass. And um, he said, well, "Let's do a little experiment." And he took the, the styrofoam cup and, like an old, like a like a sort of cartoon baseball pitcher, like he wound up like real big over his head and, like, wound up like this and, like, threw it as hard as he could against the wall, the styrofoam cup. And of course, it just bounced off. And he said, "Well, what happened to the cup?" And she said, you know, nothing. It just it just bounced right off. So then he took the stemware, and same way, you know, very exaggerated, he wound up over his head, he pulled way back, and like right when he went to throw it, she was like, no, 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 no! don't, don't do that. <laughs> Obviously. She didn't want to clean glass out of the carpet later, I guess. And he said, well, why, why not? What, what would happen to, to this cup? And she said, it would, it would break into a thousand little pieces, And he said, exactly, you know, uh, he sat back down on her bed and he said, some people are like the first cup. You throw them against the wall and they can bounce off and they can continue being like they are. And he said, you are not like the first cup. You're like the second cup. And you're like the second cup because you're my child and I'm like the first cup too. And he had been being very honest with us about his depression and his anxiety. And he asked her, he said, is there anything wrong with this glass? And she said, no. He said, that's right. It's exactly how it was made to be, and it's beautiful. But with glasses, you have to be very gentle. You have to be gentle with yourself, and other people have to be gentle with you. And this semester, we have been looking together at what does it mean to be a full, functioning human being? What does it mean to be human in the fullest sense of the word? And what we've been discovering is to be fully human, we have to be like Jesus, Because Jesus lived the human life in the most beautiful, robust, full way. And what happens when we come to know Jesus, we come to trust him by faith, God begins to make us more and more like Jesus, to make us Christ-like. And what that looks like is what's on your sheet in Galatians 5, what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To become fully human, we must begin to exhibit these characteristics in our lives and look and begin to look like Jesus. And tonight we're on gentleness. And gentleness is the part of the fruit of the spirit that is the most mysterious to me, um, mostly because I'm not gentle. Uh, if you've been around me or with my children, like I'm gentle with you at coffee on like a Tuesday morning. But when you've been with me with my children, you would know that I'm not a gentle person and that people have not generally been gentle with me. And I would assume that's the same for you. And what I want you to leave knowing tonight more than anything else is that Jesus is very gentle. He's gentle with you and he's gentle with me. And here's why that matters for you. All of us are wondering, everybody in this room in some way, in very different ways. Everybody in this room is a completely different place spiritually. And we're glad for that. Um, But all of us are wondering in some way, can I trust God? Can I trust God's word? Can I trust God's plan for my life? Can I trust God enough to throw away everything and follow him? And the more that we realize that God is gentle, the easier that question comes for us. So what I want us to see tonight is that Jesus is gentle. First, that Jesus is gentle in his speech. Second, that Jesus is gentle in his touch. And third, that Jesus is gentle in his heart. So first, that Jesus is gentle in his speech. Jesus is gentle in how he uses his voice, how he uses his words toward people. The passage that's on your handout, um, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have some free ones on the back, and they're like, actually like, kind of look like you bought it. So, you know, there's, it doesn't look like the free Bible. Um, but in the Isaiah passage on your sheet, it's from Isaiah 42, and it's an Old Testament prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And Isaiah talks about this person called the suffering servant, which we'll find out later means the Messiah, who's the Lord Jesus. And look at verse two. All right, we'll start in verse one. Behold, my servant and whom I whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. What Isaiah is saying is that this person that's going to come, this Jesus, is the kind of person that doesn't make a big show of himself and how he uses his words or uses his voice. Um, He doesn't make everything about him when he's interacting with other people. Paul says later that love does not insist on its own way. Gentleness is like that. A person that is gentle does not insist that everyone pay attention to them and do what they want to do and make sure that they're the center of attention. Uh, If you're the kind of person that likes to define things by knowing their opposite, the opposite of gentleness would be asserting yourself over another person in like sort of a superior way um, or being absorbed with yourself. The gentle person is not absorbed with themselves. Gentleness, or your translation might say meekness, those two words kind of go together. It really means that you intentionally don't draw attention to yourself. Okay, that you're you're content to sort of decrease your voice to let other voices come up and, and Jesus when, when he came we, we knew that this is how he was he didn't arrive with fanfare if you think that Jesus himself he 's the Son of God and uh, he lived with God forever he was the one that created everything who spoke using words spoke the entire of create the entirety of creation into existence. He becomes a human being by getting in a woman's belly and being, uh, you know, incarnated in, in the Virgin Mary's stomach. And he gets born in a feed trough, like in a redneck village. It's like the Mebane of, of Israel. And I um, had to make sure you were still going to be here. Um, and the only people that knew that Jesus was even coming, that were even told about it, were a bunch of dirty shepherds that lived outside. Um, that like was like sort of like they were on the on the Appalachian Trail their entire lives, and uh, God announces it to them. But the only people that know are these sort of dirty shepherds in this redneck village. And next week, our um, Garrett, uh, who works with us, he's going to tell us about when Jesus, who is the King of the Universe, comes into Jerusalem at the Passover. He rides on a baby donkey, like an old nasty baby donkey, and nobody noticed. It's kind of amazing that god himself becomes a human being and basically nobody even takes the time to notice he was intentionally local and limited Um, and that's because jesus was gentle jesus makes uh, gentleness makes room for others by allowing yourself to decrease a gentle person says i won't assert myself i will take a step back to allow others to come into the fray And maybe the most important and vital way that we exercise gentleness is how we speak to other people, how we use our own voice, how we use our own words. Um, Being gentle like Jesus means we don't cry aloud and make ourselves heard in the street like Isaiah says. We allow for the voice of others to be heard. And we use our words carefully to bless other people. There's this church on the way to my daughter's preschool. It's, It's Deerfield, United Methodist and they have a sign that they keep changing and it says things to give up for Lent and it's like being judgmental I'm like oh, like oh every time I drive by um, I was like nah man we were going to keep it at like candy um, and I drove by the other day and this one really you know I almost drove off the road um, it said things to give up for Lent harsh words um, because I, I I peddle harsh words and uh, when we gossip or use harsh words or insist on being right, we basically crowd out the possibility for gentleness with other, with other people. And what I want us to see is that gentleness can actually be healing and restoring in people's lives. Because we see that in Jesus' speech. We didn't, we're not really going to dive into how Jesus used speech. Because I think we see more clearly Jesus' gentleness in his touch. That Jesus is gentle in his touch. Jesus used his touch... To heal. Now, look. Look at verse three. Um, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Now, since we live in a world that values dominance and power and control as being like the alpha person is the person that is able to control a situation, the world often mistakes gentleness and meekness for weakness. If someone's being meek or being gentle, we assume, especially if that person is a man, we assume that they are weak, that they're a weak person. Um, And while superiority is antithetical to to, uh, gentleness, gentleness is not inferiority. Well, I'm not saying here that you become an inferior person, but as a guy named Michael Gordon, who is another RUF guy, he said gentleness is is controlled strength. It's having strength but controlling it, dialing it back, limiting your strength, power that intentionally limits itself. Some of you guys have held a newborn. I've held three babies that were, like, fresh out of the oven. And uh, when, 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 you think, when you guys think of a baby, the only time y'all ever see a baby is when the baby's, like, three months old or more because nobody's letting, like, some 20-year-old hold their, you know, like, newborn baby, generally. Um, not that you can't handle it, but you have germs. And, uh, but a baby when they're born, they're not like this big, you know. Like a baby is like this big when they're born, and I, I just remember, like, especially when our first daughter Georgia was born, like my arms were just like awkwardly so big, like it's like she, it's like I was going to drop her out, you know. <laughs> and it, it just occurred to me that like I could very easily crush her, or, like hurt her badly, um, but I, I limited, I, I limited <laughs> Which I've saved until she's older and I use the speech part for that. Um, But uh, I realize I'm so much more powerful than this person. And I have to to withhold that power for for her and be gentle with her because we're always gentle with what we value. If we think something is important, we will be gentle with it. We will be meek toward it. And Isaiah says, look, Jesus, he's going to be like someone, he says, a bruised reed, he will not break. A reed would be like a, a plant with a shoot. Like think about like a, like a small aloe plant. If you guys had an aloe plant around your house. And part of, you know, let's say one of the stems of the aloe plant, it gets bent over for some reason and sort of folded in half. And, you know, it gets that dark bruised mark where you just know that that part that bent over is going to die and it's going to fall off. And you might be just standing there talking with someone and you may absentmindedly lean over and touch that little piece of the plant, and it's it's just barely hanging on. That you just go ahead and just snap it off because it's going to die anyway, right? And you want the rest of the plant to be, to be healthy. You might just casually pluck the end off. Isaiah says, "Yet yeah, Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus would not only not pluck that off. Jesus would support the part, this part of the plant, and gently because it would be so easy to break it." gently allow it to be nursed back into life and into usefulness again because an aloe plant of course it heals burns and so he would bring it back to a place where it could be useful for healing again and he says a faintly burning wick he will not quench so if you think like if you had a a candle burning not in your dorm um (laughs) but like in your apartment um but probably not in your apartment either because let's just not um, And it's been burning for a long time and you're doing homework and eventually the flame goes out and all that's left is like the wick and this little tiny, like glowing, tiny little bit of orange on the end of the the wick. If you're getting ready to go to bed, you might just quickly reach over and just snuff that out a little bit and let that little vapor of, of smoke come off. But Isaiah says Jesus wouldn't do that. It'd be almost impossible to touch this thing without putting it out, right? But Jesus not only wouldn't snuff it out, He would actually use his hands and his breath to gently coax this thing back, you know, just gently to blow on it and allow it to return to a flame and be useful again for light uh, and for heat. Um, Jesus controlled his power and used gentleness to bring healing and restoration to make things useful again, things that you couldn't imagine them being useful at all. And the way that Jesus shows his gentleness, the way he shows his controlled power the most, or most clearly, is in his suffering. Because again, Jesus is God the Son; he is God Himself walking on earth in a body, which is kind of weird to even just think about in the first place. But Jesus goes; he's 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 brought up on these false charges; he's given an unjust trial, and then before he goes to the cross, he gets beaten really badly. Where like these guys are beating him over the head with a rod. And they're whipping his back and literally tearing the flesh from his back. God in the flesh having his flesh torn. And what's amazing is that Jesus is holding the molecules of the bodies together, of the bodies that are beating him. Like he's literally allowing these bodies to be held together to allow this beating to come upon his body. He controlled his strength in that way. And on the cross, you know, it's it's interesting. People mock Jesus. And if you would like, if you could imagine going by someone being like tortured to death and like making fun of that person, Um, trust me, you have the ability. Um, You just don't have the opportunity. So do I. Um, But they would go by Jesus and they would say, "Yeah, if you're God, if you're the Messiah, like you're so powerful, like why don't you just come down? Like why don't you just get get off the cross? Or why don't you just call some angels to come and let you down?" because they thought his meekness was was weakness. They thought since he was controlling his power he was weak, but they were absolutely wrong. And they missed it completely because Jesus was allowing himself to be wounded so that people like us, people that are not gentle, people that are violent could be healed. Isaiah later says that by his wounds we are healed. We can he- be healed from the ravages of sin and violence that we use to harm people and that which by which we are harmed. Jesus' controlled power brought restoration and health and healing. And it, he's, it still happens now. Um, this really was, was on my mind whenever Sarah Robinson and Sarah Jeter were talking about the opportunities to make these cats for, uh, for young women in Kenya. Because uh, they, they were talking about these the men using their power over these women to get what they wanted. And um, like I don't, I don't mean to be like just overly intense, but you know, men, the men in the room, you know, much of the harm that you do to women uh, in your words and, in, and with your body is because you've not learned to control your strength. Like you've not learned to use your strength for another person, use it to bless, rather to conquer. And I would say you and I need to sit at Jesus' feet. And let him teach us how to be gentle with other people, how to control the strength that we have. And you need gentle men around you. Like, do you guys have men in your life that are gentle, that you can say, that person can show me how to use my strength? Because, look, uh, and I'm not just, like, trying to camp out on guys, but um, there's all kinds of articles and studies, like, out there right now about how, men are struggling because men never receive touch from other men in ways that aren't threatening. Um, And it's just weird to think, like, you know, like, when you see girls, like, when we have REF meetings, it's almost always the case that two girls will be sitting together, and they'll either be holding hands, or, like, one girl will be, like, touching the other girl's hair, and it's totally not strange. And it'll be super weird for guys. Like, we're we're just, like, for some reason, just, like, let's not do that. Um, But, like, Back in the day, it wouldn't have been weird at all for, like, two guys to be walking along together and to be holding, to be holding hands and to be exchanging touch um, with one another and uh, safe, friendly touch, right? Um, and one of the ways, I don't usually, like, talk about, here's one of the ways that I like to minister to you. Um, but I'm, I'm fine with this one. Um, one of the ways that I've tried to break through that with a lot of, of you guys is through uncomfortably long hugs. Um, <laughs> And you thought I was just creepy until right now. Um, Like, to hug into the point where it's not just like, hey, what's up, man? But like, so that you know that I'm like, I'm trying to embrace you and trying to like touch you and trying to give you some comfort. And uh, the best hugger in this room probably is Carter Bishop. Where where is Carter? (laughs) Who has recently started pulling back on his hugs. And I just told him that before this meeting and he said it's because I'm too needy for hugs now <laughs> um, but like but Carter has blessed me like with that safe touch like a sense of gentleness and care with his touch and look like a lot of y'all are, are bruised and you feel like I'm not going to be useful anymore um, or you're like almost completely burned out and you're like there's no way that I'm going to be revived like I'm just I'm barely here and what I want to tell you tonight is that Jesus loved to touch people. And he used to—he loved to touch people and his touch healed people. Um, it's kind of amazing because, again, this is God. This is like the one that takes all of space and wraps it around himself like a garment. Becoming like this local one human being. And he loved to touch people. Like God loves to touch people. Um, Luke chapter 4 says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Not just people, but like sick people. Like sick people that nobody touched. Because they didn't even understand how germs worked. They're less like, we just had to put that person away and never touch them again. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus helped, when Jesus held this girl's hand, it was God holding the hand of a little girl who had just died and sitting on her bed. And he gently called her back to life. But I love this as that he held her hand and, and he spoke gently with her. It was God when, when Jesus took a little child and he put the child on his lap in complete safety and bounced the child on his knee and said, you got to be like this little child if you're going to follow me. Uh, it was God stretching out and touching a man with a skin disease that made him untouchable in his community. Jesus was the one that broke through and laid his hands on him. And one of the most amazing parts of Jesus touching people is Jesus with his disciples got down on his hands and knees and took a basin of water and touched the feet of other men who had nasty, stinky feet. He washed their feet. Like, do you know how awkward it is to touch another person's feet? Like, I've been married for almost nine years and it's still awkward. So, like, you know, like... Like, oh, what's on your foot? I'm like, don't. Um, uh, He took the feet of his disciples, and he tenderly and gently washed everything off, and he had a towel around his waist, and he took the towel and he dried off their feet. That was God touching people's feet and drying them with a a, a towel. God touching human flesh. It's amazing. Always safe, always appropriate, always gentle, controlled, Strength to touch people. Not weakness. Controlled strength. Because Jesus, it's not, we know it's not weakness because of the, last, of the last verse. If you look at verse 4, um, it says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Um, we know it's not weakness because Jesus is actually bringing justice to the world. And there's nothing weak about bringing justice to the world. The last point here is that Jesus is gentle in heart, and this will be short. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And when it says in the earth, and like up in verse one, where it says he's going to bring forth justice to the nations, what Isaiah is saying is he's not just going to bring justice to God's people, he's not just going to take care of his own, but he's going to bring justice all the way throughout the world. When it says the coastlands wait for his law, what they're saying is the farthest place on the earth that we know exists are waiting expectantly for Jesus to come and to bring them justice, to make everything right. Again, And here's why. Jesus cares when people are hurting. Like he cares when people are oppressed. He cares when people don't have equity in their community. And that's both inside his tribe and outside his tribe. One time he tells his disciples, he says, look, I'm a shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I take care of my sheep. But look, I have other sheep that aren't part of this sheepfold. And I have to go get them. And bring them in, so that all my sheep will be together with me. Jesus cares deeply about hurting people wherever they are. Um, Yesterday, or two days ago, Sarah Jane and I were listening to Pete Holmes, who's a a comedian. And he has a show called Crashing, which is, I guess, I think it's on HBO. Charlie usually knows the answer. They're Netflix, something like that. And um, Pete Holmes grew up in the Christian world, grew up in church, grew up um, Christian school, Christian college, and he started getting into the comedy world and he was like, he said, I was trying to like make Jesus like not offended with my humor. And um, you know, he would be in these like really raunchy nightclubs and like delivering these really kind of lame jokes. And um but I was sad when I was listening to him because he was saying, you know, he's not he's no longer a Christian, he's no longer walking with Jesus. And he would basically say, like, I, I saw that the church or being a Christian as a place of like where you repressed things. Like where you could never tell somebody that you were like had sexual desires or you could never tell somebody that you just like wanted to get drunk um, or that like you looked at porn. Um, But when he got into comedy, he said he found the freedom that he didn't have in the church. And uh, he, he put it like this. He says, when somebody on stage is in an alpha position, the person that's the comedian on the stage, but being what I call alpha beta, where you're talking about how weak you are and how scared you are and how vulnerable we all are, that's a very therapeutic thing for an audience and when comedy is at its best, it can get to that place where people are unified. Because the person on the stage is leading with their own brokenness and their own hurt and their own pain. And it made me super sad that like, he felt like that was not something that he could get with God's people. But it did make me surprised. In Matthew 12, uh, Matthew actually quotes this passage from Isaiah 42. And he quotes it right after Jesus had gone into the synagogue and there was a guy there with a withered hand. And I love that, that the word used there is withered, because it makes you think about like a flower or like a bruised reed. And a man had a hand that was just seized up, and it, it, was, it was not useful. And the Pharisees, who were like sort of the religious guys in control, they tested Jesus. They said, is, can, should you heal this person on the Sabbath or not? Like, should you keep God's law and every law that we put on top of it, or should you not? And Jesus says, you know, if you had a sheep that fell into a ditch... On the, on the Sabbath you would go get it and this man is more valuable than many sheep and he looked at this man and the man's hand is withered up and he said, stretch out your hand So the man's hand for and who knows how long began to open and was open and useful again and the Pharisees leave that meeting and try to figure out a way to kill Jesus because there's something in us that hates gentleness. Because when we see that withered hand, when we see that bruised reed, when we see that smoldering wick, all we see is it's about to be dead and it doesn't matter and it's never going to be useful again. And since we are not meek and gentle, we can't imagine how something could be healed and restored and be made useful. Again, we can't even imagine the possibility of it. And those Pharisees are often us with other people's hurts. But it's good. That sucks. I'm sorry. And we we, we will not enter into it. We're uncomfortable and and unhopeful about what is hurting in ourselves and in others. But y'all, Jesus is very comfortable with hurting people. With people that don't have things figured out. And he invites us to come to him and to go to each other with our hurts. And to experience hope and healing. Because I got sad listening to Pete Holmes at first because I was like, this sucks, yeah, this is us. We're the people that are like, I want to kill Jesus because he just made this guy's hand warp again. Um, but then I got mad. I started getting angry. I was with Sarah Jane she, we were talking about this. Um, because those of us that know Jesus know that we, can, we offer more than just a place where you can come and be vulnerable with your pain. If you know Jesus, you are offering somebody the healer like the person that's able to actually touch and to heal this person, to bring hope and care, Jesus ready stands to save you, to heal you. He's full of pity and power for your pain. He's gentle in heart. Um, And he doesn't have to care. You know, Um, we curse him. I curse him all the time. Um, But he's committed to bringing healing justice and um, if you know Jesus, you have the privilege um, of following him and caring about hurting and oppressed people, whether they're in your people or they're outside your people. You can't just say, these aren't my people. Um, we have the privilege of following him into being gentle. I don't remember where I heard this story, but I'll end on this. Um, uh, there's a the story of a dad and a son, like a four-year-old, five-year-old son and they're playing in the yard, on the backyard, and uh, they found a beetle that was like crawling around, you know, and uh, because kids are low to the ground, and so they notice things that are going on on the ground, the grown-ups are all up here, all up with our, you know, snooty with our nose in the air, and uh, they see this beetle, and they follow this beetle around for like an hour, you know, like putting a stick in front of it, and the beetle crawls over it, you know, crawls over their hands, and like it's so cool. Like, and the light has this color, and then you know, and they, they follow it around for like an hour, and they're just having such a good time with it. And like later on, the neighbor kid comes over, and they're playing and whatever, and they're like playing, you know, they're all tough and whatever. And they come across the beetle, and like the neighbor kid just like smashes the beetle, right? This, you know, like every every male child does, you know. It's like oh beetle, <laughs> gross, you know. And um, the guy says, you know, his son didn't like bust out crying. He didn't get super upset. He didn't say anything, kept playing. But like later on that night, they'd had dinner, they'd had a bath, they'd read a story, they were in bed. And he said, right before he turned off the light, his son said, hey, Dad, do you remember that beetle? And he was like, yeah, yeah. He was like, I really liked that beetle. Um, like, I didn't want the beetle to die. Um, and something is very moving to me about that story because the gentleness of controlling your power and making room for this thing that's smaller than you, and for caring about whatever is going on in this little beetle world, allowed so much like hope and wonder and connection between people um, that merely squashing it just removes. And look, Jesus, it says at the very end of this passage, he's not going to grow faint or be discouraged. He is going to make sure that everything gets put to right. In Boone, at App State, into the ends of the earth, because he is gentle, uh, will you follow him into gentleness? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much that you're gentle with us, that you don't just snuff us out. You restore us to who we were supposed to be. And um, eventually you're going to come back and you're going to put everything right. And you're going to take away the sickness and the sorrow and the death and the tears. And we're really going to know then that you delight in us and that you've made us to delight in you. And um, Lord, I ask that you would help us catch a vision for that now. Thank you for being gentle with us. For those of us that are hurting tonight, um, would you show your gentleness to us? We pray in Jesus' name.